George, we got a pump for you, so you're good to go. I'd like you to take your Bibles tonight and find with me, if you will, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, chapter number 10, tonight in your Bibles. Find that place, if you will. Well, we don't want to turn the air conditioners on in April, but the weather has made it necessarily so. Amen. I don't know about you, Friday evening, it was in the high 80s, and I'm sitting in the house, the windows open, the fans on, and I'm like, nope, I have to go get the air conditioners out of the basement and put them in the bedroom window. And, uh, but this is just temporary, and hopefully we'll get some nice weather. We can keep the windows open a little bit. All right, you found the book of Nehemiah, and uh, we are in the book of chapter 10, but before we get to 10, I just want to back up to chapter 9 and say a few things there, and then we'll make our message tonight from the scriptures. Let's pray and ask God to help us this evening. Now, Father, we're here tonight. We thank you for the, the privilege and the blessing of, of the local church, the blessing of it, the, the fellowship of, with believers. And I pray, dear God, that you'll help us tonight, that uh, in all things we would look to you that we would uh, forget the world for just a few moments and have the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. No doubt the people of this day and time were dealing with issues, problems, poverty. There was corrupt governments and corrupt leaders. and There was financial problems. There was sin. And Lord, to be honest, nothing has changed. It's just the same today. But these men put you first. These women put you first. They loved you and they served you. May that be true of our generation. Let us not get fixated on this world. Bless the time and the hour now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's been a few weeks since we've been in Nehemiah because we have been uh, uh, the uh, resurrection season. We've been looking, we look at a lot of things that pertaining to that. Um, last Sunday, of course, was Resurrection Sunday, and we celebrated that, and we looked at, again, some things from Scripture about the resurrection. So we're probably been, it's been a month or so since we've been in Nehemiah. Now, as we've gone through this, we've seen that the city walls have been rebuilt. There has been threats on lives and corruption. In chapter number 8, there is the, the reading of the Word of God. They take the Bible out, and they read it, and they and they are disturbed when they see just how bad the nation has become. They realize just how backslidden and how far removed they are from obeying the scriptures. Ezra is a man whom we met when we studied the book of Ezra. Ezra was responsible for the rebuilding of the temple. Nehemiah is responsible for the building of the walls. And Ezra makes his prayer. And we kind of looked at Ezra's prayer when we studied the book of Ezra. But Ezra... Praise. And listen, Daniel makes a wonderful prayer, and, and, and the study of men's prayers and the study of women's prayers and scripture is important. These are great men and women. How did they pray? How did they, how did they communicate with their God? It would be a great lesson for us to learn how do we need to communicate with us. I remember when I was a young boy, I asked my older brother, I said, well, how do you exactly go about talking to girls? 
And to be honest, I cannot repeat the information he gave me. I just can't. Like, you know, how do you go about asking one out? How do you, I mean, what do, what, do you, what do you do there? And, and again, I can't repeat what my older brother had to say. It was not a Christian advice. So I didn't get any wisdom there. Well, as a Christian, I want to know how do I talk to God? How do I approach God? What's the, how, how can I communicate with God that's scriptural? Well, read Daniel chapter number 9. Read Nehemiah chapter number 9, and you'll learn a lot about praying and and, uh, and we see his prayer here and, and, and how they're worshiping the Lord in verse number 3. And uh, we see the people, and this, the people there, the, the Levites, and how they're crying out to God with their voices. And verse number 6, we see the prayer here, thou, art, thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven and earth of heavens, and with all the hosts, the earth, and all that are in therein, and the seas, and all that is therein. Thou preservest them all, the host of heaven worship thee. Thou art the Lord God who did choose Abraham. And he goes on to praise the Lord. And my friend, when we're communicating with God, praise would be a good thing. You want to go back to the original conversation? You want to know how to talk to a girl? Well, praising her would be a nice thing. You look very nice. You look very pretty. And, uh, and, and, and complimenting. Well, that may have an ulterior motive because you want to go out with her. We communicate with God not because we're trying to earn favor, but because we are explaining truth to God. Thou art God, and God is worthy of worship. God is worthy of our adoration. God is worthy of our praise for his greatness and all that God has done. And by the way, all these men in the Bible believed in creation. It wasn't until 150 years ago that people started believing that we evolved from a monkey. But prior to that, everybody believed God created and God made things. And he goes on to talk about all the things that God has done and how God blessed the children of Israel. And he reminds God of all the things that God has done for them throughout this and how he led them through the wilderness and he fed them, he took care of them and, 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 and all these wonderful things in his prayer to God. And now he's thanking them that they are finally back in their land. And asking God to help them while they're in their land and that they would serve him and, and be faithful to him. You know, the, the, there's a lot of verses in your Bible about, you know, God protect my heart. God uh, keep me from wandering. God guard, guide my steps. And, 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 and if there be any wicked way in me, God show me. These are good prayers to pray so that when we're communicating, because God, God I, want, I want to do right. Help me to do right. And so Ezra prays a wonderful prayer. In chapter number 10, now you look at chapter number 10, you all of a sudden get real nervous. All you see is names. And I'm going to preach tonight on every single name. <laughs> Amen? That will be a blessing that will be. And this is a list of, 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 of when you get, have children. You might want to consider this list here. Chris, the next one comes along. You might want to make a shaluam. Or Midjamin, that's a good name. These are wonderful names here. Even got, if you have a daughter, verse 15, you got Bunny. I'm not sure that's how you pronounce that. Could be Bunai. I don't know the proper Hebrew pronunciation. But in these names that we see here, and I'm not trying to make light of their names, but uh, 
And don't tell me you're so spiritual that when you read this chapter, you go through every name. You do what everybody else does. Okay, verse 28. Okay? <laughs> and that's, that's how you read that if you like everybody else. But sometimes you just may miss a blessing there. God may, sometimes God throws a little verse in there that can change everything. But these are the men who basically are signing a covenant. And they're making a covenant with God. And, and there's a list of over 80 names given here of those who signed a covenant the signing is called uh, sealed in chapter number 10. Now, these, now those that sealed, and again, it's the idea that when you had a document, you put a seal upon it. It was usually wax. I have a, in my office, I, I, I have a quill pen, and I have an inkwell, and I'll write every now and then using that quill pen and the ink, and I'll write out that and and then when I'm finished, I put it in an envelope, and, and on the back, I, I melt wax, pour it into a little cup, and I pour it on the back of that envelope. And while it's still hot, I have a signet, a little stick, and I press an S into the back of that hot wax. It's old-fashioned, it's old-school, but I'll do that on certain occasions when I write to certain people. That wax with that signet is a seal. And we see those all throughout Scripture. Well, these, this seal that we're seeing here, again, is a covenant. They're making a promise. They have sworn an oath. The, the signing was affected by making, again, an impression with a seal-bearing name. Just the way we would sign a document, just the way the founders of our nation signed a declaration of independence and they signed their name on it. They were basically signing their death certificate if they lost the war, by the way. Those men would be rounded up and, and hung. Praise God, we won. So we see these groups, and again, this list is divided into three groups. And while we have the names of the last group of representatives, actually all the signers were representatives of their designated group. Again, it would be impossible for all the thousands of Israelites to sign the covenant individually. So the representatives of the various groups signed for their groups. Okay, I got this group of people. There's a thousand over here. And, and so uh, the first guy on the list there, Nehemiah, uh, he, he's representing one group. And so on down the list. And they're making a covenant. They're making a, 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 a pact between God. This is how we're going to run our nation. We have our constitution. It would be nice if we used it every now and then. It would be a wonderful thing. But, you know, we got a constitution. That's how we're supposed to run our nation and, and, and how we govern things. Men signed an agreement. This is, okay, we all agree. This is how it's going to work. We'll follow these rules. Well, that's what they're doing here. They've, they've come together and, okay, we've got to serve God. And, well, how are we going to do it? Well, this is what we're going to do. Everybody in agreement. We're all in agreement. We are a representative government. We're not a democracy. We're a republic. We are repre and we have representatives that we send off to represent us. It, it looks good on paper. It's not working out in reality, but it's, it, it's supposed to work that way. They're not supposed to represent special interest groups and the people with money. But these people are different. Now, again, he goes on, and we jump down to, we go through all these verses, and, 
And uh, he, he lists the religious leaders of the people in verses 2 through 13. And, and we have those in, in verses 14 through 27. Over 40 names are listed at the heading of the chief of the people. These were laymen who had places of leadership among the people who put their seal on the covenant as a representative of the people. Again, they had high position in the congregation. And they also led in, in piety in the congregation. And what a good thing for these people, men. They were humble men. Even as leaders, leaders ought to be humble people. I'm glad to be here. Let me lead my people. Let me do it with humility as we serve God. You know, in our churches today, we need men and women of, of piety, men who, and women who can lead with humbleness. And, and, and church, my friend, is about, leadership is about service. Jesus Christ said we must be servants. That's what we all are servants. And Christ was the greatest servant. He served his father and he, and he served us and, and we serve him. My job as pastor is not to lord over anybody. I'm not a, I don't lord over anybody. I, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm to be a servant of the people and to, and, and to be a blessing. I, I don't do your bidding, but I am to serve you in the gospel of Jesus Christ and to help you in that aid. And the church today needs people of piety who can lead and, and, and guide the church. When we get to verse number 28, it says, And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, and the porters, and the singers, and the nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands, unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. A notation is made about those who could not sign, but were supporters of the covenant. It says, and the rest of the people. These were the folks did not sign the covenant, but their representatives did. In verse number 28, he talks about the Israelites. These are the priests and the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanims. These were those of the Israelites in the congregation who did not sign, but had representatives for them. Again, sometimes we need a representative. We have Christ, who is our great representative. He is the, our, our great intercessor. In verse number 28, we see here again, he says, and, and, and they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands. These were the folks, again, they separated themselves from the, from the people of the land, the law of God. Everyone having knowledge and having understanding in other words, they were an age to know what this meant. In our country, we have laws on how old you have to be in order to vote. Went from 18, then it went back to 21. I think it's 18 again. And, and I remember the first time I was able to vote. I was excited about it. And, uh, and, and, and ready to, I was 21. Actually, I missed it. I, I think you had to be 21 when I was uh, back in there. And you had to be 21. And then, they, of course, the fight was, well, if we're... 18 and can go to war and, and, and fight for our country, then why can't we vote? Which makes the legitimate argument. They did the same thing with drinking. And then, of course, they realized 18-year-olds were killing themselves in record numbers, so they raised that number up to 21. And I can understand that one. That makes sense to me. Now they want to lower it to 16. I'm sorry, to, and I don't want to be offensive to any 16-year-olds, but I'm sorry, I, I just don't think you're ready to vote. You're easily manipulated. By the, by the Hollywood crowd and the music crowd and to tell you who to vote for. And you can vote for, you're voting for Santa Claus most of the time. 
who's going to promise you stuff and give you stuff. I, I want somebody who's going to do what's best for the nation. I don't, I'm not looking for handouts all the time. I want, just guide our nation. Make our nation safe. Do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you know, keep us safe. And, 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 and watch over us. Don't put these yokes upon me. And so these people here, they were of an age to understand, to know what that meant. And so these, again, that idea that having knowledge, having understanding. So there was an age limit of who these people were who were able to sign this contract and and, and make a seal upon it so that they could uh, be part of this reestablishing of the nation once again. They've been in captivity for 70 years. The only governments they've known is the Babylonians and the Persians. And, the, and they don't want that. They want, and really what they want is a theocracy. They want God to rule over them. And people say, well, Christians want theocracy. We don't want a theocracy. That was Old Testament Jewish times. We want godly people to rule over us is what we want. Again, these, these were people who left heathen idolatry and they're embracing the faith of the true God, which was Israel's faith. And they recognized that Israel's faith was much better than their, their own, so they converted over. So these are proselytes. And again, a proselyte is somebody who leaves a religion and, and converts to Judaism. So these were Gentiles. Saying, you know what? We want to worship the way you Jews worship. We believe in your God, much in the same way we see with Ruth, who was a Moabitess, who was a Gentile woman, who, who, who followed her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi, back to her own country. What she said, your, your God will be my God. In other words, I'm going to worship the way you worship. I'm going to become a Hebrew now, because I believe your God is God. And, 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 and Ruth converted. She became a proselyte to, to Judaism. And we see that going on here. There are people living in the land. They're seeing what's going on. And they're excited about it. We see in verse 29 something interesting that takes place with these people. And it says, And they, uh, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. To enter into a curse or oath means these folks were taking a vow. Again, it's not a curse in the way we think of a curse. You know, I'm going to, you know, put a curse on somebody. I remember my brother had a friend. And uh, no offense here, but he, uh, he was a certain nationality. And he wore a certain piece of jewelry around his neck. And I like, what is that? And he explained it to me. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Well, that's what we wear, you know, his nationality. I'm like, well, what's, what's it do? Well, we, we, you know, it's, it's, we can put a curse on somebody. I'm like, well, how do you put, I'm like, how do you put a curse on somebody? He's like, well, you, first of all, you got to, and he's going like this with his fingers. And I'm like, is it working? What do I know? I'm, I'm, I'm seven years old. He said, what nationality was it? See me after service, and we'll, uh, well, you and your people, be quiet. I don't know what you want to, (laughs) you and Naira, stay to your, keep yourselves, all right? (laughs) And so he's he's trying to (laughs) put put the whammy on, and so I'm like, well, well, again, that's not the curse we're talking about here. By the way, you can't put a curse on anybody. Only Satan can do that, and 
and only if God allows it. But you don't, nobody has the, the ability to put the, the whammy on you, so to speak. This curse is a, it's, it's an oath. I'm promising God that I will serve God and I will obey this law and I will do everything God tells me to do. It said these people did not belittle failure or keep God's command. Again, too many people laugh at God's way and they mock those who walk in God's path. But they're, pro- they're saying, you know, God, do something to us if we walk off the path. Because I want to stay straight. I know I'm prone to wander. Like the song where I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. I, I know me. That's why I, I, I don't trust me, because I know me. And I need God to help me every day. Like the, the hymn writer said, I, I need thee every hour to God to watch over me. And, and through this and the rest of the chapter, again, we're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to kind of highlight these things. There are some specifics of this covenant they make. And the last part of the chapter gives you some specifics of the covenant. Again, the whole covenant is not recorded here, but what is mentioned are some of the things that the Israelites were having special problems with in walking in God's way. And so special attention is given to three subjects of the covenant. Well, what problems were they having? Verse number 30, that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. In other words, God, we have been guilty as a people, and you'll see this later on. We've been guilty as a people that we've been marrying and intermarrying with these Gentiles. And instead of us converting them, they're converting us. And we are becoming like them, and we're worshiping their gods. And we see that's, it's, it's so dangerous. Even King Solomon, who married all those wives, and what did the Bible say? That that his wives turned Solomon's heart away from the Lord. How can Solomon, how can Solomon's heart be turned away from God? How is that possible? He wrote so much Bible, and God used him in such a way. God gave him all that wisdom because he allowed his heart to be turned by his wives. That's why it's important that you marry right, and you marry for the right reasons, and, and you uh, you, you check the situation out. Again, I've said this story a hundred times. When I got married, my boss looked at me and goes, Now, does Renee believe the same way you believe? I go, What do you mean? Church and stuff, you know, stuff, you know. Church and stuff. She believe like you? I said, Yeah, we believe exactly the same. He goes, That's amazing that she believes the same way you believe. This is not the same because that's what I was looking for. I was going through thousands of women just looking, and I finally found her. Amen? <laughs> I finally found one who believed like I did. Now, again, we're at Bible college. I'm sure all those girls down there believed and served the Lord. But even then, you know, you're looking. You're, you know, guys are watching. If a guy loves the Lord, he's watching to see how the girls act and behave. And girls are looking at a guy. How's he acting and behave? Is he acting godly? Does he, or is he, is, he, is he just useless? How is he? It's not time for laughing, Sarah. <laughs> you, you, you married up, amen? You married into Carney. I mean, Somerset came north. Now, put her in her place, amen. (laughs) Right, Brianna? (laughs) 
So they, they, they're, they're, they've intermarried. And so the first thing they realize is, God, one thing we've got to fix is the problem with us giving our sons and daughters to the neighbors who don't love you and despise you and are worshiping these false gods. We're, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to make sure that, again, it may be very difficult sometimes for our children, marry right, marry right, marry right, and, and then they fall in love with somebody. It's, an, it's a saying, by the way, you, you don't marry somebody you don't date. If you don't date them, you don't marry them. And so just be patient. God knows what he's doing. And, uh, and so you've got to wait and, and serve the Lord. Put God first. God will take care of you. Yeah. It's funny, you know, somebody says they love Jesus. A sports player says they love Jesus. He's a Christian. He's a Christian. And we're all over the guy because we, we he said he loves Jesus. We saw him praying on the sidelines. We really don't know much about the guy, but he, we claim he's a Christian. Well, maybe can we just investigate a little bit more? So again, their faith was important to them. And, and this idea of mixed marriages was a problem. And a mixed marriage, by the way, will always be a problem. My mother married my father. It was a mixed marriage. And by the way, when the Bible talks about mixed marriage, it's talking about religions and, and faith. It's not talking about skin colors. There's nothing in the Bible, nothing in the Bible about skin colors. You can't marry them because they're the wrong color. That's, 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 that's prejudice uh, 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 from, from man, but you didn't get that from the Bible. Right? There's nothing wrong with you marrying another, as long as they're a human being, you can marry them and, and the opposite sex. Okay, that's the two requirements there. You got three requirements. They're, they're human, they, 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 they're, they're of the opposite sex, and there's only two of those, by the way. And, and the third one is that they believe they're a, Christ, they're a Christian. They love the Lord like you do. Those are the requirements we have. And who you marry doesn't really matter. And I've had problems with people as a pastor with somebody who didn't want their son or daughter dating so-and-so because they weren't the right nationality. And you'd be surprised, by the way, what I've had to deal with. It's, it's usually not the, what you're thinking. It's really not. It's amazing. You know, just amazing. The Bible commands us, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Again, that's... that's a, and the word yoke together means it's talking about marriage. Don't be yoked. To, and my mother mixed married. I, that's where I started. She married my father, who was not a Christian man. My mom a Christian. My dad was not. But she fell in love with my father. And, 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 and she spent the rest of her days struggling with that. Because, again, my father was not a Christian man until, until he, I think he reached 60 years of age. For all those years, my father lived and acted like a lost man. My father was lost, and he talked like it, and he acted like it. And it was a lot of grief and heartache for my mother. And, that's, and sometimes somebody may marry somebody who's lost, and it might not be a problem. But nine times out of ten, there is a problem. There will be problems with that. So making the choice of spouse, again, is, 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 is amazing. It's the first thing they deal with. The first part of this covenant is the idea of marriage. We want to fix this marriage thing, God. And, and why is our nation falling apart? You know what's wrong with our nation? Because they have destroyed the family unit. 1,000 teenagers just 
trampled through Chicago, I think last night or Friday night, smashing windows, jumping on buses, tearing cars apart, 1,000 teenagers or more. You know why they did that? Because the family unit has been destroyed. There's no dad in the house. There's no mom in the house. There's, you know, they're living with this relative. They're living with that. They're, they're, but there's no family structure. And Satan has destroyed the family structure in this country. And my friend, any nation that's going to be a great nation is a nation that's built upon strong families. And strong families start when some young person says, I'm going to marry right. I'm not going to fall at the first thing that smiles at me as it comes down the street. My mother fell in love with my father when she thought he was handsome and he, had, and he had beautiful blue eyes. And as my father passed away, we sat there in the hospital. My mom and I, my father just passed away, and uh, my mom was sitting there and, and she looked at the doctor, and I won't say too much, but she just simply said, those are the blue eyes I fell in love with. She should have paid more attention to my father's actions. Then, of course, if my father hadn't married me, you'd all be staring at an empty pulpit tonight. Amen? And you'll be wondering, well, who's the preacher around here? But God would have raised up somebody else, I'm sure. But understanding, we got to marry right, and there's worse things in life than not being married. You can live like my mother and spend every day of your married life saying, I should have listened to my mother. I should have listened to my mother. I should have listened to my mother. And what did her mother say? Maria, don't marry Chet. Maria, don't marry Chet. Sadly, my grandmother died in May. My mother was 19 years old. And come September, my mother married Chet. There is verse 31. And if the people of the land being bring ware of any victual on the Sabbath day to sell, that they would not buy it on them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of it also of every debt. The Sabbath and its specifics, the second specific of the covenant which is mentioned in our text is the matter of keeping the Sabbaths. There are three Sabbaths mentioned in our text. There's the weekly, there's the religious, and there's the seventh year. The weekly Sabbath would be Saturday. Nobody is going to do any buying or selling on Saturday. None. We're not, nobody's doing it. Not allowed. God forbids it. Now, again, we're not under Sabbath law here. We're in New Testament. We don't have Sabbath law. But I think, you know, taking a day off is not a bad thing. We don't need McDonald's on Sunday. You don't need it on Monday either, but, you, but you, we just... Chick-fil-A, you know, Chick-fil-A is one of the greatest food chains and one of the most richest food chains, and they're closed on Sunday. They do fairly well closed on Sundays. Well, we've got to have everything and everything up and running on Sunday these days. I remember when I was a kid in Carney. Carney had blue laws. Remember the blue laws? You couldn't buy or sell. You go down to two guys on, sat, on, 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 on Sunday. Half the store was roped off. You couldn't buy this. You couldn't buy that. You couldn't buy this. You couldn't buy that. And it was kind of strange. You, I think you, could, you couldn't buy liquor, but you could buy beer or vice versa. I always thought that was odd. Should we just shut the whole thing down? Then you go to Bergen County. Bergen County still has blue laws, and, and certain stores are closed. It, it does us good, by the way, to not go 24-7. 
The idea of resting, by the way, is not a bad thing. I feel lazy. No, it's, it's resting. Let your body recuperate because you're going to go all week long again. Take a day off and relax. Just relax. The Jews did it, and they functioned just fine. They still do it, by the way, and they function just fine. So their first, the second part of their promise is, God, we're going to take the weekly and their religious days, all the holy days, God. We're going to make sure we're, we're, we follow and observe the religious days. And then there's the seven-year Sabbath. Now, the seven-year Sabbath means that every seven years they don't plant anything. They let the land rest. There's no planting of crops. And God promised them that if you do this, I'll give you a bumper crop in the sixth year that will carry you over until the, 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 the following year. And that's a good plan, by the way, because it also gives soil a chance to rest. We know farmers alternate crops because one crop will take nutrients out of the ground, and then when you rotate, that next crop will put the nutrients into the ground. It's, a, it's wonderful how God's creation works. If you plant tomatoes in your backyard, you ought not to plant those things in the same spot every year because you're destroying your soil. God told them, seventh year, no planting. Why did Israel go into captivity for 70 years? Because they failed to observe the seventh year Sabbath, and God gave them one year for every seventh year that they missed, adding up to 70 years. That's why they were in captivity for 70 years, until the land got its rest. Then God said, okay, <laughs> the land's got its rest. Now you can go back. These dear people, these, this godly bunch has learned we're going to, God, we're going to observe the Sabbath days, and we're going to do what you've told us to do. He talks here in these verses, in verse 31, he says, And if thy people of the land bring ware or any victual on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, that we would leave the seventh year in the accusation of every debt. So again, he talks about, again, the rest, that they would leave the seventh year. It's the idea of, of getting the land its rest. So there's the, another specific. In verses 32 through 39, again, we will not read all these verses. It's about the temple or the sanctuary and their covenant they're going to make there. And the theme is about giving for the temple service. Giving. Again, I, I don't want to read all of this, but it's basically about their tithing. He says in verse 32, And we made ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God. This refers to the tribute money each Israelite was to give annually for the work of the temple. It took money to keep the temple functioning. They had to fix it up. They built it now. And again, it's small. It's nothing compared to Solomon's temple. And they have this temple. But you know what it takes to keep the temple running? It takes money. You know what it takes to keep a local church up and running? Keeps money. Public service isn't giving us this air conditioning for free. They don't like us. And so, you know, they're not, you're a church, yay, free. No. I'm going to get a bill from them come uh April 3rd or, or May 3rd or 4th. Hello, Gospel Light Baptist Church. You owe us. And, and we pay our bill as soon as I get it. I usually pay it the same day. As soon as I get the email, I send their payment right off to them. By the grace of God, we were able to do that. 
the bill's not bad. Last month we paid 300 and something dollars to keep the lights on in this place and, and to run the heat when we needed it. It's not a bad bill. It takes money. It takes money to run a church van. Put gas in. I put gas in there uh, just yesterday. I, 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 don't, I didn't pay attention to how much it was. I don't like looking at it. I mean, it's, you know, it's just like I, I just hear the thing going, ching, 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 ching. And I'm like, oh, please, Jesus, make it stop. And it's, it's, it keeps going. Is, is it on the ground? Is it, is it keeps and it filled that thing. It was almost empty. There was a time, not when the prices were high, it was $100 to fill up that van. $100. Then there's registration. Then our insurance. Then there's upkeep. There's insurance for this building and our property. Kids love to climb on this wall out here every day. Moms are put their kids on the wall and they run up this wall. I'm just waiting for one, day, one of these years for one kid to fall off that wall. What happens if they fall? Well, we got insurance. We got insurance. Gospel tracts, printing gospel tracts, getting Bibles, missionaries, everything takes money to run a local church. We don't like to think of it in the business sense. We just think, you're just preaching the gospel. I am, but it takes money to run this business. And, and churches should operate in as many sense as a business. There's accountability. We keep books. We keep records. Every dime that comes in gets recorded. And the bills get recorded. You want to know what we spent? I'll just a few clicks on the computer. Here's a handout. Here's where, here's where it all went. Here's what we did with it. This is how much we got in the savings. This is what we got in the checking. This is the missions account. These people understood that. It took money to run this. And often God's people, our churches are just trying to rip people off. They, they, they just want uh, money all the time. We don't preach on money around here. Very seldom do we talk about it. But it does take money to keep this. And so they had to keep the temple functioning, and, and it took money to keep that temple functioning. And, and if you want buildings, if you want ministers, if you want missions, if you want service, we have to have money. That's what it takes. And God's people have to faithfully give to that. And I thank God for everybody who gives faithfully to the cause of Christ here. I don't see what people give, but I know money's coming in, and, and, I, and, and I know where the bills are going out. And, but, so thank God for everybody who gives. I don't take that late. As I mentioned earlier, I know you, you work very hard, 40, 60 hours a week, and then you give that to the Lord. You're giving back what belongs to Him, by the way. Thank God for that. There was the practicality in giving. He says in verse 34, how we cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for the wood offering to bring in the house of God. The wood offering. Wood was needed for the altar fires. How do you burn the sacrifice? You need wood. Where are we going to get wood from? Well, we've got to buy it. What do you mean you've got to buy it? Well, somebody's got to go out and chop it down. We've got to pay somebody to go chop down the wood because us as priests, our job is to minister here. Our job is not chopping wood. God didn't give us that job. So they, they hire somebody to go bring in the wood. So they have this offering. So people were designated to bring wood to the temple at certain times of the year. And again, this is practical giving. Sometimes churches have useless donations and, 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 and we, people purchase, churches purchase junk. 
some things, when I go to a church, I'm like, you know, do you really need that? You know, they got some fountain on the front lawn, you know, spewing 10 foot into the air with different colors and a fountain. You know, fountain can help get another van to go pick up more boys and girls. <laughs> I just, just think practical all the time. We really, everything we try to do has to have a practical reason. We just don't do it so we can say we, we got one of those. Everything we have, we, it's being used for the cause of Christ. And we need this. This is a need. This will help our ministry. The preference in giving. We notice the word first shows up in a combination in this scripture. Verse 35, he uses the phrase first fruits of the ground. In verse 36, he talks about the firstborn. In verse 36, he talks about the firstling. And they're a combination of words. They emphasize that our giving is to have priority over other things. Our giving is our... I have to take care of the Lord's work first. The first check I write goes to God. First. You see this word all the time. The first, first is found a lot in connection with offerings in the Bible. First fruits. So when that tree bloomed its first figs, the first fruits, bring them down to the temple. The first corn coming up out of ground, that goes down to the temple. The first wheat coming up out of that goes down to the temple. The first born of the livestock, that goes down to the temple. Because the temple needed those things because the priests survived on those things. The priests were ministering in the temple. They were offering sacrifices. They were doing their duty. And how did they survive? By the offerings coming in. And so they ate of the fruit and the, and the, the vegetables and the, and the wheat and the barley that came in to them. The work of the Lord, as well as offering some of that to sacrifices to God. It was God's system and how they functions. You, you people out here, you have your jobs, you work, but, but in order for the temple to go and so, survive, you, gotta, you people have to give to it and support it. So again, the emphasis is that our giving is to have priority over the things. Some people pay bills first, and if there's anything left, they, they give that to God. And, and God says that we're to give to Him first. My wife and I have made a, a, a vow that we pay God first. God gets first. And we get leftovers. Nothing wrong with leftovers. By the older I get, the more I, I, I kind of like leftovers. One night we had London broil and mashed potatoes. And then Tuesday night we had mashed potatoes and London broil. And then on Wednesday we had leftovers. And so, you know, we... we we're not ashamed. You get when you're a kid. I eat leftovers. I don't want leftovers. Then you get older. It's like this is all right. But a lot of Christians give God leftovers. Five times in this chapter, the word tithe or tithes is used. And the word tithe means a tenth. And the Israelites were instructed to give a tenth of their money or substance of the work of the house of God or the temple. The tithe was not only uh, giving the, the people, uh, not, was not only giving the people where to do, but however, the, the tithe was only part of their giving. Before the tithe mentioned, there was 
Again, this idea of first fruits offerings. And this is what some people have trouble understanding. And again, this, is, this gets me in pro- pro- problems because I'm trying to explain the Bible. A tithe does not belong to us. A tithe is God's. That's God's. It's like going into work and eating somebody else's lunch. It doesn't belong to you. You ate somebody else's lunch. The tithe belongs to God. An offering. You don't make an offering to God till you go above the tithe. That's where your offering comes in. You haven't offered anything to God. I gave my tithe. The tithe is not an offering. That's not yours. The offering is what's above the tithe. That's what we offer to God. Now, again, I don't beat people over the head with giving around here, but I too try to, if you want God to bless us, we have to give properly. I'm not one of those guys who say, you know, we need to have Paycheck Sunday around here. I've, I've, I've heard preachers like that. You say, what's Paycheck Sunday? That's where the pastor has bankrupted the church and they're desperate for money, so he tells everybody they have to sacrifice and turn their paychecks over to the church on Sunday. I, I said, that's the, that's the most wicked thing I've ever heard in my life. Why don't the pastor turn his paycheck over? You know, what's, what's this all about? It, the, the church, if every church member gave properly, the church can function just fine. And the more people, and the bigger the church grows, the more the church can do, and, and, and more things going on, and and it all functions fine as long as we all stay within our, our budget. How much money we got coming in? Well, that's, how, that's where we live. It's where we live. My wife and I, we make a certain amount of money each year. We live in that budget. I saw a commercial tonight for a Cadillac. So I'm like, and we've passed Brogan Cadillac on Route 46 out there a million times. We've all done that if you drove. I'm like, well, how much is a Cadillac? I don't want one, by the way. I was just curious. What's an Escalade go for? Again, I don't want one. I'm just saying, I thought, well, what's, the guy's like, I'm going to get your Escalade. What's, what's an Escalade? I had one guy called it an Escalade. Sounds like a, sounds like a drink at Rita's. <laughs> I'll have an Escalade large cherry, please. And uh, he called it, so what's, $100,000 for an Escalade. Can you imagine? $100,000 for a car. I can't imagine that. I can't. My wife and I don't have an Escalade or an Escalade. We go to Rita's, we may split something. We live within our budget. We live where we live. We, you know, that's where we live. This is what we afford. Do I want an Escalade? No. Would you want an, who wants a $100,000 car in this neighborhood? I park it at somewhere, and next time I come out, and there's my spot. Well, at least the spot's still here. <laughs> Anyhow, I hope you don't think I'm rambling. I'm not, but I'm just, and I'm not, I'm not hinting for an Escalade. I'm not. I don't want one. I could. I'd be afraid the way shopping carts. No, I don't. I'd wrap it in bubble wrap and ride it. Just, just no. My Toyota is just fine. But my point is, we li- the church should live within its budget. This is how many people we got. This is how much money we got. So the church survives in its budget. Sometimes a church can't survive because the people don't give properly, and so the, the church has to struggle, and the pastor has to struggle. You know how many pastors I know who are struggling out there? Guys who are basically living on starvation wages. I mean, pastor after pastor, I know they're... they're I can tell you heartbreaking stories 
I know one wife who finally packed up and said, I, I can't take this anymore. I, I can't take us living on starvation wages all the time. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with the ministry and I'm done with you. And packed up and left. Now again, you bl- we can blame her, but there's a, there's a people in that church who said, you know what, we're not going to give and, and, and our pastor needs to learn to trust Jesus. Let him trust Jesus and we'll, well, let's watch him starve. And let's watch his family. I can tell you horror story after horror story. And that's not the case here. Thank God we've, it's, God's blessed us and God's taken care of us. Thank God for the people who blessed us. So the, again, their they're, they're, they're vow to God is three things. We're going to marry right. Two, we're going to worship right. And three, we're going to give right. And God, we, we signed this deal. This is just part of the deal we're signing. We're going to do these things. They're not going to forsake the house of God. Even though, listen, they're in hard times right now. This is not the, 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 the boom of the 1980s here. This is, these are hard times right here for these people. They're struggling right now. Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago? They, they were being sold off into slavery because they couldn't pay their mortgages and bills. But here they are making a promise to God. We're going to do right, God. We're going to do right no matter what. And we ought to have the same mentality. No matter what, God, we're going to do right. I want to do right. So the Jews here were still going to give their tithes and they were going to give their offerings to Almighty God and, 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 and serve Him. This is the vow they make in this chapter. Let's stand together for prayer. And by the way, if you can afford an Escalade, God bless you. I'm, I'm, 